Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the baby goat wearing a sweater 60 miles to my left is Ellen. I'm not gonna lie, this intro is pretty bad. <laughs> well then just keep rolling. Okay. But honestly though, do yourself a favor and Google baby goat in a sweater. Seriously, it's so cute. For now, the rolling rehash. Last week, we discussed Chapter 11, The Dueling Club, and its corresponding film scenes. England ran low on child actors. Snape attempted his first appendectomy. Draco gets tickled in the book but knocked on his ass in the movie. Harry missed his chance to go to Broadway. Ernie goes the right way for a bitch slap. Hagrid is all hot and bothered over a dead cock. And Justin Finch Fletchley and Nearly Headless Nick tie for the Freeze Tag Champion title. During episode 29, Tens Across the Board, we had two Potter ponderings. The first was how would you react if you heard someone speaking Parseltongue? Max thinks he would probably turn around and run because he doesn't know if he would know what Parseltongue was. Carly says she isn't sure. She isn't a skittery puff. She tends to face things head on, and she thinks that as a muggle-born, she would just think it's some language she'd never heard before. Rightfully so, because technically it is. Dave says that since so many weird things happen in the wizarding world, that he would probably think it's someone trying to do some sort of spell or incantation. Apparently, those born in the wizarding world are taught about parcel mouths and have a negative connotation with it. Even Hermione knows that. He is curious what Slytherins think about Harry doing parcel tongue because their founder was one and thinks they would think it was cool. That is a really good question. I would think the Slytherins would find it cool. Robert is a Slytherin, and if he heard someone speaking parcel tongue, shh, 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 he'd say, no, stop, stop, you're saying it wrong. It's shh, not shh. <laughs> it's leviosa, not leviosa. Right? It's shh, not shh, sh. <laughs> I really don't know how to speak parcel tongue, so that's my impression of it. Well, you are a Gryffindor, so there's that. Kenneth says he would say, oh, cool, you talk to snakes? I talk to my dog sometimes. That's legit. Mm -hmm. I'll have full conversations with my cats. Sometimes it's when my husband's in earshot and for his amusement, other times just cuz. <laughs> Jackson said that he'd be amazed and maybe a little bit scared because they could be saying anything. Which is pretty much the general reaction in the book and movie. Yeah, so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Our second Potter pondering was, what would you do if you went to Hogwarts and came across a petrified person? Katie was all about just hightailing it down to Mexico, but is open to other suggestions, so she doesn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. I don't speak very good Spanish. <laughs> Max's response to this one doesn't change my mind, as he said he would try to take them to the infirmary before finding Lockhart and going to the Chamber of Secrets. So, no, no thank you, still heading to Mexico. I think Quincy's... More on your page. He asked if you've ever heard a grown man scream like a bitch. <laughs> so is Robert. He said if he walked up on a petrified person, he'd say, Nope, nope, fuck this shit, I'm going to Durmstrang. At least they clean up messes from dark shit happening. Yeah, Kenneth says he'd totally freak out if he found a living statue too. 
but several people did suggest telling an adult ASAP. Ashley specifically said that she would let someone know they needed to get a mandrake to cure the petrified person. As a teacher, I find that suggestion far superior to screaming and running. You would. And they do. (laughs) Carly also said that though she would be scared, she would feel it was her duty as a fellow Hogwarts student to assist and help. So she would go find a teacher as quickly as possible. There's a reason Carly is our support badger. Oh yeah, it's well earned. (laughs) Dave's response was pretty amusing. He said, if I don't know the person, I would probably think it was a statue of something that fell over or someone left to go get a dolly. If it was a friend, I would at first wonder why someone made a statue of my friend and go try to find my friend to show them and probably tell other people I found a statue. When I couldn't find my friend, maybe I would make a connection that it's them. But if I didn't know people could be petrified, it wouldn't cross my mind. Yeah, this just makes me imagine Dave in his wizard costume that I helped him make for his magic show, pushing a petrified person around on a dolly. (laughs) Also, it doesn't convince me not to run to Mexico. Well, let's just hope you don't run into or trip over any petrified people and just keep rolling into our trivia question last week, which was, in the Chamber of Secrets, what do the Dursleys send Harry as a Christmas present? Hedwig arrives with a very small package that contains a toothpick, which is what we were looking for as an answer, though Sam did go a step further to say it contained a toothpick and a note asking if Harry could stay at Hogwarts for summer. That he did, and even though Ellen loves it when people go the extra mile, Sam was one minute behind Dave with the correct answer. So the streak has been interrupted. And congratulations to Dave for slipping in there and getting the answer right first. Though Katie is right, and I do greatly appreciate your extra and accurate addition to the answer, Sam. But Dave was first, fair and square, so yay, Dave! We will reset the streak counter and see who gets it this week. Yep. In addition to our weekly trivia question, we are also going to be holding a special trivia contest as our Potterheads of History episode for this month, so stay tuned for more information on that. For now, let's just keep rolling into Chapter 12, The Polyjuice Potion, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 12, The Polyjuice Potion Harry and Professor McGonagall step off the stone staircase, and McGonagall knocks on the door. It opens on its own, and she tells him to wait there and leaves. Harry looks around the very interesting, large, circular office, feeling that he would really enjoy the chance to explore, except that he is terrified he's going to be thrown out. There are silver instruments on a table, portraits of old headmasters and headmistresses on the wall, and an enormous clawfoot desk. Sitting on the shelf behind it is the sorting hat, and Harry decides to put it on to make sure it put him in the right house. The hat asks if there's a bee in his bonnet, and as Harry starts to ask about his house, the hat finishes the question for him and maintains that he would have done well in Slytherin. Harry pulls the hat off and puts it back, feeling sick. He tells the hat it's wrong and backs away. A strange gagging sound catches his attention and he turns to see an ill-looking bird that resembles a half-plucked turkey. To his horror, the bird bursts into flames and burns away to a pile of ash on the floor. The door opens and Dumbledore enters, looking very serious. Harry tells him that his bird just caught fire and learns that the bird fox is a phoenix and they burst into flame when it is time for them to die and are reborn from the ashes. A tiny newborn bird pokes its head out of the ashes, looking quite as ugly as before. 
Dumbledore says it's a shame he saw him on his burning day, as he is normally quite handsome. He also describes them as fascinating because they can carry immensely heavy loads, their tears have healing powers, and they make highly faithful pets. Dumbledore settles in his chair, but before he and Harry can discuss what happened, Hagrid bursts in explaining that he knows it wasn't Harry because he was just talking to him before the boy was found. Hagrid goes on about how he's got the wrong boy until Dumbledore interrupts him, saying he knows it wasn't Harry. Hagrid stops and says he'll wait outside. Harry is relieved that Dumbledore doesn't think it was him, but is still nervous because Dumbledore wants to know if there is anything he would like to tell him. Many things go through Harry's head. Malfoy shouting, You'll be next, mudbloods. The polyjuice potion brewing in the bathroom. The disembodied voice he's been hearing and his feared connection to Salazar Slytherin. But all he says is, No, there isn't anything, Professor. The double attack has nearly everyone wanting to leave for the holidays. Though Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle are all staying, along with Harry, Hermione, Ron, and the rest of the Weasleys. Harry is looking forward to most people leaving because of how everyone is acting around him, avoiding him, muttering, and staring, pointing and hissing at him. Fred and George find it all hilarious and make jokes about Harry being the heir of Slytherin, though Percy and Ginny don't find it very amusing. Harry doesn't mind it because it's nice to have at least some people think him being heir of Slytherin is ridiculous, but Draco seems annoyed by it. Ron thinks it's because Malfoy really wants to say that it's him. Hermione says that the polyjuice potion is nearly ready and they will be getting the truth out of him any day now. Term ends and Harry enjoys the peace of the silent grounds and castle. On Christmas morning, Hermione wakes Harry and Ron up, throwing Christmas presents at them and telling them that the potion is ready. As she is saying they should do it tonight, Hedwig swoops in with a small package from the Dursleys, containing a toothpick and a note telling him to find out whether he can stay at Hogwarts for the summer too. The rest of his presents are much better, including treacle fudge from Hagrid, flying with the cannons from Ron, a luxury quill from Hermione, and a new Weasley sweater and a large plum cake from Mrs. Weasley. Despite dreading taking Polyjuice Potion later, they have a very enjoyable Christmas dinner. Harry doesn't even mind the snide comments Malfoy makes about his new sweater, feeling that he'll be getting his comeuppance in a few hours. After finishing their puddings, they head out of the Great Hall to finish their plan for that evening. Hermione has two chocolate cakes filled with a sleeping draft for Harry and Ron to place where Crabbe and Goyle will find and eat, so they can take some hairs and hide them in the broom cupboard. Harry and Ron aren't thrilled with this plan, but Hermione insists. They want to know whose hair she's using, and she shows them the hair Millicent Bolstrode left on her robes during the dueling club, and then heads off to check the potion again. Harry and Ron are doubtful that the plan will work, but it goes off without any issues. After Christmas tea, they perch the cakes on the end of the banisters and hide when Crabbe and Goyle leave the Great Hall. Seeing the cakes, the two Slytherin boys immediately stuff them in their mouths and keel over backwards. Ron says, how thick can you get? And they haul them to the cupboard across the hall and steal some hairs and their shoes. They rush back to Moaning Myrtle's bathroom where Hermione has three glass tumblers and spare robes ready for them. She dishes out the potion, they add the hairs, and move to separate stalls before taking it. They count to three and drink the potion, which Harry thinks tastes like overcooked cabbage. His insides start writhing and burning, then he's brought to all fours by a melting feeling. He watches his hands change size, 
feels his shoulders stretch and his shoes become too tight. When the sensation stops suddenly, Harry finds himself on the floor. He removes his shoes and two short robes and takes off his glasses that are now clouding his vision. In Goyle's rasp of a voice, he asks if Ron and Hermione are okay. Ron responds that he is in Crab's voice and the two boys step out of their stalls, amazed how they look. Harry says they better get going and calls to Hermione. A high-pitched voice answers that she isn't going to go with them after all and tells them to hurry. Harry tells her that they will meet her back in the bathroom and he and Ron hurry off to find the Slytherin common room, running into a curly-haired girl along the way. Ron tells her they've forgotten the way to their common room and she looks suspiciously at them because she is in Ravenclaw. They keep moving and run into Percy, who tells them it's not safe to go wandering around dark corridors. As Crab, Ron points out that Percy is and Percy insists that nothing is going to attack him because he is a prefect. At this point, Draco shows up and after giving Percy some attitude, he leads Harry and Ron disguised as Crab and Goyle to the Slytherin common room. They get there and Malfoy asks what the password is, then remembers that it is pure blood. They enter the common room and Malfoy tells them to wait by the fire while he grabs an article his father just sent him, saying Arthur Weasley was fined 50 galleons for bewitching a muggle car. Harry forces a fake laugh, but Ron just looks mad and tells Malfoy he has a stomachache. Malfoy turns the conversation to the attacked Muggleborns, wondering why the Daily Prophet hasn't reported any of them. He assumes Dumbledore has hushed it all up and is going to be sacked soon, saying his father always calls him the worst thing to ever happen to the place because a decent headmaster would never have let slime like Colin Creevy in. He begins doing a cruel impression of Colin worshipping Harry and then wonders what is wrong with his friends since they don't laugh. Ron Crabbe and Harry Goyle both force a laugh, which seems to satisfy Malfoy, and he goes on to talk about St. Potter and how he can't believe people think he is Slytherin's heir. Harry Goyle and Ron Crabbe both start to get excited, sure that Malfoy is going to say that it is him, but instead he says he wishes he knew who it was, so he could help them. As Goyle, Harry says, you must have some idea of who's behind it all, and Malfoy says that he knows that he doesn't, and his father won't tell him anything about it. It all happened 50 years ago and was very hushed up. Malfoy does know that a mudblood died last time, so it's only a matter of time before one is killed this time, and he hopes it's Granger. Ron Crabbe is clenching his fists, so Harry distracts Malfoy by asking if the person who opened it last time was caught. Malfoy says yes, they were expelled and probably still in Azkaban. He tells them that his father said to keep his head down because they have enough to worry about since the ministry raided their manor. He mentions that they didn't find anything because they have their own secret chamber under the drawing room floor. Ron says, ho, and Malfoy looks at him. At this point, the effects of the potion start to wear off, and Harry and Ron both have to jump up and run from the Slytherin common room, hoping Malfoy didn't notice anything. They run to the cupboard with the real crab and goyle in it, leave their shoes, and run back to Moaning Myrtle's bathroom to tell Hermione what they learned. Back in the bathroom, they find Hermione still has not left the stall. She tells them to go away, and they ask what is wrong. Moaning Myrtle glides through the door, gleefully telling them that it is awful. Hermione exits the stall, sobbing with her robes pulled up over her head. She lets them fall and reveals yellow eyes, a face covered in black fur, and pointed ears, crying that it was a cat hair and the potion isn't meant to be used for animal transformations. 
Moaning Myrtle is delighted that Hermione will be teased, and Harry tries to reassure her that Madame Pomfrey will be able to sort her out and never asks too many questions. They eventually manage to persuade her to leave the bathroom, and Moaning Myrtle sees them off by calling out, Wait till everyone finds out you've got a tail. In the movie, Harry steps off the Griffin stairs and enters Dumbledore's office. It is a circular room with portraits all over the walls, above ornate shelves containing a variety of different objects. Harry calls out Professor Dumbledore's name and doesn't get a response. He walks the rest of the way into the office and up a few stairs towards Dumbledore's desk, which is also surrounded by shelves, lined with books and the sorting hat, which notices Harry and asks if there's a bee in his bonnet. Harry asks the hat if he put him in the right house. The hat said that he was difficult to place and reiterates that he would have done well in Slytherin. Harry insists that it is wrong, but then is distracted by a sound on the other side of the office. He turns and walks towards a large reddish bird on a perch. As Harry is smiling at it, the bird bursts into flames and startles Harry as it burns to ash. At this point, Dumbledore enters and calls out Harry's name. Harry starts trying to explain that there was nothing he could do. His bird just caught fire. But Dumbledore tells him it was about time. Harry looks confused, so Dumbledore goes on to explain that Fox is a phoenix. And when it's time to die, they catch fire and are reborn from the ashes. At this point, a little bird pops its head out of the ashes and Dumbledore continues explaining that they are fascinating creatures who can carry immensely heavy loads and their tears have healing powers. They are then interrupted by Hagrid, who bursts into Dumbledore's office, holding a dead Brewster, and rambles on, insisting that it wasn't Harry, and he'd be prepared to swear it in front of the Ministry. Dumbledore cuts him off to tell him that he doesn't believe it was Harry. Hagrid at first starts to argue, then realizes Dumbledore already agrees with him and says he will wait outside. Harry is relieved to hear that Dumbledore doesn't think it was him, but Dumbledore does ask him if there is anything he wishes to tell him. Harry's eyes flicker around a little, but eventually he shakes his head and says, No, sir, nothing. Dumbledore says, Very well, then, and dismisses him, though as he watches Harry leave, his brow furrows. The scene transitions to a scenic, wintry view of the castle and horse-drawn carriages pulling students through the snow, then shifts to the snow falling from the bewitched ceiling in the Great Hall. Ron and Harry are already seated at their table as Hermione approaches to join them. She sits down and tells them that everything is set. They just need a bit of who they're changing into. Harry glances over his shoulder and says, Crab and Goyle. Hermione says they will also need to make sure the real Crab and Goyle can't burst in on them while they're interrogating Malfoy. Ron wants to know how, and Hermione pulls out two little cakes that she filled with a simple but powerful sleeping draft. She says that once they are asleep, they can hide them in the broom cupboard and pull out a few of their hairs and put on their uniforms. Ron and Harry look at each other like they don't think there is any possible way this idea can work, and Ron asks Hermione whose hair she is ripping out. Hermione pulls out a little vial containing a hair and says she got it off a Slytherin girl's robes, Millicent Bulstrode. She then says she is going to check on the potion and for them to make sure Crab and Goyle find the cakes. The scene shifts again, showing a bronze statue holding Hogwarts Castle in his hand with a lion at his feet. Ron and Harry peer around the statue, and Ron raises his spellotaped wand, though Harry stops him, saying maybe he'd better do it. Ron agrees and puts his wand away as Harry gets his out and says, Wingardium Leviosa, causing the two cakes to rise in the air. They hear someone coming and duck behind the statue as Crab and Goyle exit the Great Hall, with their arms already full of sweets, and notice the floating cakes. 
Crab says, cool, and the two of them grab them out of the air and immediately start eating them. Harry and Ron look very pleased as Crab and Goyle collapse to the ground, and Ron wonders, how thick can you get? They rush over to them, and the scene changes to Hermione dishing out the Polyjuice Potion in Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. She ladles the gloppy potion into the third glass, picks it up off the sink, and hands it to Harry, then one to Ron, and keeps the last. She directs them to add the hairs, and they'd all do so. Ron grimacing and saying, Ugh, essence of crab. Hermione says cheers, and they clink their glasses before drinking. All three of them look like they are going to be sick before Ron declares it and drops his glass, running to the bathroom stall. Hermione says me too, dropping her own glass and also running to a stall. Harry stays out in the open, but drops his glass and hunches over the sink. His hands start to bubble, then his face, and it gradually transitions into Goyle's face. He turns around as Crab walks out of the bathroom stall, but in Ron's voice says, Harry? As Goyle, Harry responds in his own voice, and Ron Crab says, Bloody hell! Harry Goyle notes that they still sound like themselves and tells Ron to sound more like Crab. Ron sort of lowers his voice and repeats, Bloody hell. Harry Goyle declares it to be excellent, and then Ron asks where Hermione is. Hermione's voice comes from one of the stalls, saying she won't be going and tells them to go without her. Harry Goyle asks if she is alright, and she tells them to just go. They are wasting time. The two boys run from the bathroom and are heading towards the Slytherin common room when they run into Percy Weasley. Ron forgets that he is Crab and asks what he's doing down there. Percy says he is a school prefect, but they have no business wandering the corridors at this time of night, and asks their names. As they struggle to remember who is who, Malfoy shows up and calls out their names, wondering if they have been pigging out in the Great Hall all this time. He gives Harry Goyle a weird look and asks why he is wearing glasses. Harry Goyle thinks quickly and takes them off, saying they are for reading, and Malfoy says he didn't know he could read, and looks mildly impressed. Malfoy then turns his attention to Percy, asking, What are you doing down here, Weasley? Percy tells him to mind his attitude, and Malfoy sneers before walking off. Transitioning to the Slytherin common room, Malfoy flops down on the couch and tells who he thinks is Crab and Goyle to sit down too. He then begins ranting about how you'd never know the Weasleys are pureblood the way they behave, and upsets Ron by calling them an embarrassment to the wizarding world. Harry Goyle nudges him, but Malfoy sees the look on his face and asks what's wrong and Ron Crabb blames it on a stomachache. Malfoy changes the subject, saying he is surprised the Daily Prophet hasn't done a report on all these attacks, but assumes that Dumbledore must be trying to hush it all up. He mentions that his father always says that Dumbledore is the worst thing to ever happen to Hogwarts, and this time it's Harry that gets mad, blurting out, You're wrong! Malfoy looks at him in disbelief and stands up, wanting to know if he thinks there is someone worse than Dumbledore, and Harry Goyle says, Harry Potter? Malfoy thinks this is a good one and calls him Saint Potter, commenting on the fact that people actually think he is the heir of Slytherin. Harry Goyle says you must have some idea who is behind it all, and Malfoy says that he doesn't. He walks over to a table and picks up a wrapped gift, asking if it's Goyle's before pocketing it. He then goes on to say that his father did tell him that it was opened 50 years before. Whoever opened it was expelled, and last time it was opened, a mudblood died. He says it's only a matter of time before one is killed this time, and he hopes that it's Granger. At this point, they both jump up because Harry has to hold Ron back. He blames it on his stomach ache, and they notice the potion is starting to wear off. While Malfoy is distracted by the little gift he picked up, they run from the Slytherin common room and back to the girls' bathroom. 
They tell Hermione to come out, and they have loads to tell her, but she just tells them to go away. Moaning Myrtle glides out and says, Wait till you see. It's awful. Harry asks if she's okay and opens the stall door. Hermione explains that Polyjuice Potion is only supposed to be used for people, and that it was cat's hair she pulled off Millicent Bulstrode's robes. As Moaning Myrtle cackles behind them, she turns around, revealing that she has yellow eyes, cat ears, and a fur-covered face, saying, Look at my face. Harry mostly looks concerned, but Ron smirks and says, Look at your tail. (laughs) Once again, we are looking at a section of the book movie compare and contrast that is pretty spot on, and would be even more so if some scenes weren't left on the cutting room floor. Mm Mm-hmm. In both the book and the movie, it starts with Harry about to enter Dumbledore's office. The only difference is that in the book, McGonagall rides up with him and knocks on the door. It opens on its own and she tells him to wait there and then leaves. As we saw in the movie section last week, she had Harry ride the stairs up by himself, so she wasn't with him. Harry just gets to the top of the stairs to Dumbledore's office like, well, that escalated quickly. Wait, hey, hey now! What? I make the puns and you groan at me. What is this? Escalated quickly. Well, they're funny when I make them. Uh-huh. You love me. Uh-huh. Regardless. In both, Harry is in the office and in lieu of finding Dumbledore, he instead finds all of Dumbledore's things and decides to do what he does best and poke around a little. I love what the movie did with Dumbledore's office. It was exactly how I pictured it. Oh yeah, it looked amazing. Mm -hmm. The only real difference was that the book described a table with silver instruments on it, and that wasn't really present. The movie had the shelves with all of the different magical objects lining the walls. Walls? Wall? (laughs) It's a circular room, so technically I guess there's only one wall. Just never ends. Yeah, it just keeps walling. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, sure, but despite being nervous, he's going to be kicked the fuck out. He's still intrigued enough by Dumbledore's office to explore some. The book specifically mentions that if he weren't so worried, he would have loved to explore more. If he were sticking true to his no more meddling promise, he would have just been a good little boy and sat in the chair and stared at the floor. Yeah, he definitely doesn't do that. He walks further into Dumbledore's office, towards his desk, ends up finding the sorting hat, and asks it if it definitely put him in the right house. There is a minor difference here. In the book, he puts the hat on to ask it, when the movie just has him talk to the hat as it's sitting on the shelf. Though in both, it does ask Harry if there's a bee in his bonnet. Bee in your bonnet? And then in both, it tells Harry that it stands by what it said. He would have done well in Slytherin. Then Harry tells the sorting hat that it is wrong. I love the look on the sorting hat's like face i don't know what it's called but it's face when harry says it's wrong like then why the fuck are you asking if you were put in the right house if you're just gonna tell me i'm wrong like what the hell right what's wrong with you kid like after the hat had a year or so to think about it it was gonna come back and say you would have made a terrible slithered my bad (laughs) exactly in the book after telling a hat it's wrong he puts it back on the (laughs) shelf and is distracted by a strange gagging sound Which is basically the same to the movie, except that he doesn't have to put the hat back, obviously, because he didn't put it on. Right. He turns and heads towards the source of the sound, and we see a large, reddish-looking bird that is looking a little worse for the wear. The book full-on describes it as looking like a half-plucked turkey, which sounds more than the worse for wear to me. Hmm? 
didn't seem like movie Harry was all that concerned by how he looked either because he was approaching it and smiling. Book Harry was completely concerned, thinking that the last thing he needed was for Dumbledore's bird to die while he was alone in the office with it. And of course, the bird does go and die. Mm-hmm. Harry must have pissed himself when Fox burned up. Like, oh, really? Like, what the fuck? Am I attacking birds now, too? Am I a pirate mouth as well as a parcel mouth? Just setting shit on fire? Yeah, I mean, that poor kid. He's having a rough year. Really is. And of course, Dumbledore shows up right at this moment. And Harry's just standing there like, I swear I didn't kill your bird. I didn't petrify anyone either. Right? He's got to be panicking, worrying about how this must look. But Dumbledore just explains that Fox is a phoenix, and when it's time for them to die, they burst into flames and rise from the ashes. Then, of course, to further illustrate that point, the baby phoenix pokes its little head right out of the ashes. The conversation about Fox is very similar from the book to the movie. In both, Dumbledore mentions that it was a pity he had to see him on his burning day since he's normally quite handsome. Movie Fox was still somewhat handsome, to be honest with you. I wish we could have seen the half-plucked chicken-looking fox. Me too. Also, Movie Harry smiles as Baby Fox pops out of the ashes, but Book Harry totally thinks the baby bird is just as ugly as the dying bird. Aww. So I don't think that translated to the movie. But in both, Dumbledore mentions that they can carry immensely heavy loads, and that their tears have healing powers. Yes, thanks for the foreshadowing by explaining the most useful properties of Fox, Albus. The book also mentions that they make highly faithful pets. And that's italicized, so it must be important too. Must be. At this point in the film, Hagrid bursts in, holding a dead rooster, and we have no idea why, obviously, because they cut that scene out earlier. This is basically the same in the book, except that Dumbledore has enough time to sit at his desk and fix his gaze on Harry before Hagrid makes his grand entrance. And we know why Hagrid is still carrying a dead rooster. Yet in both, Hagrid begins rantling, insisting that it wasn't Harry and he'll swear it in front of the ministry before Dumbledore loudly cuts him off, saying that he doesn't think Harry attacked those people. I think the movie made this scene just a little bit funnier, though, by having Hagrid first start to argue with him still. Of course you don't! Before realizing Dumbledore was actually agreeing with him. Yeah, in the book, he just immediately said he'd wait outside, and the movie had him say that after the little comedy bit. Mm-hmm. He leaves, and Harry immediately says, You don't think it was me, sir? No, I do. I just wanted Hagrid to GTFO. <laughs> Except that he doesn't think it was Harry, <laughs> but he does want to ask him if there's anything that he wants to tell him. Harry thinks through everything that's been on his mind, Suspecting Malfoy, the polyjuice potion, hearing voices, speaking parcel tongue, possibly being related to Salazar Slytherin, and then just says, no, there isn't anything, Professor. Good call, Harry. Don't tell the one guy who can actually help you with what's going on. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he could have at least brought up being a parcel mouth. It'd be safe to assume that Snape or Lockhart already told Dumbledore about that. Never mind the fact that Dumbledore probably knew just about all of the rest of what was going through Harry's head, too. Yeah, since the movie can't really show Harry's inner monologue, I think it does a decent job illustrating everything going through Harry's head. Like the way his eyes flicker around before he says no. Yeah, I think it was pretty clear that he was saying no when he meant yes. Mm-hmm. At this point, the book mentions a mad dash to book a seat on the Hogwarts Express to leave for the holidays. 
But Harry's glad that most of the school is leaving, so people will stop acting so weird around him. Fred and George find it all hilarious and make jokes about him being the heir of Slytherin. Percy doesn't approve. Jenny's not amused. But Harry doesn't mind because it makes him feel better that at least the twins find the idea of him being the heir of Slytherin ridiculous. One of the deleted scenes is based on that, but Fred and George mocking the absurdity of Harry being the heir is not as well received by him as it was in the book. Ron and Hermione try to get him to see the lighter side, but Harry is just worried he's going cray-cray in the hay-hay. Cray-cray in the hay-hay. That's what's <laughs> happening. But yeah, it just ended up feeling like another poor Harry moment rather than a fun Fred and George moment. Mm -hmm. In the book, Draco is also aggravated by Fred and George's antics, and Ron figures it's because he's bursting to say it's really him. Hermione says that the Polyjuice Potion is almost ready, and they'll get the truth out of him any day now. Then, it's officially the end of term, and basically everybody leaves. This is where the movie continues after the scene in Dumbledore's office. It's all pretty and snowy as the majority of the students ride off in carriages to catch the Hogwarts Express. Then they do a clever little transition of the snowfall outdoors to the snow appearing to fall in the Great Hall, where Ron and Harry are joined by Hermione, who declares the Polyjuice Potion finished. That's not how it happened in the book. Mm -mm. Hermione actually bursts in on Harry and Ron in their dormitory, throwing presents at them and declaring the potion ready. She says they should do it tonight, and at this moment, Hedwig swoops in with a package for Harry, who's happy that she's speaking to him again. I mean, she was pretty pissed after the whole tree incident. Understandably so. Mm-hmm. The package turned out to be from the Dursleys. They sent him a toothpick and a note telling him to find out if he can stay at Hogwarts for the summer holidays, too. Aw, which was our trivia question. A toothpick. What a shitty present. Hashtag why bother. Hashtag satchels of assholes. Hashtag seriously. Mm-hmm. Hashtag mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but at least the rest of Harry's presents were better. They had an excellent Christmas dinner with carols led by Dumbledore, Hagrid getting louder and louder with each goblet of eggnog, and some of Fred and George's antics, which involved changing Percy's prefect badge to say pinhead. <laughs> After Harry and Ron finish their third helping of Christmas pudding, Hermione ushers them out to finalize their plans for the evening. That's not how it happens in the movie. At least, Hermione doesn't usher them out of the Great Hall. They just finalize the plans right there. And in both, by finalize, they mean she needs to finish telling them what the plan is. Which involves cakes, sleeping draft, yanking out some of Crab and Goyle's hairs, and hiding them in a broom cupboard. And in the movie, Hermione's eyebrows have yet another fit. I actually saw someone else on Facebook go on a bit of a rant about Hermione's eyebrows. I told her that you call them epileptic caterpillars, and she thought that was funny. See? I told you, it's not just me. It's totally a thing. I never said it wasn't. She definitely has overly expressive eyebrows. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you. <sighs> Anyways... There's a slight difference between the cakes in the book and the cakes in the movie. The book describes them as plump chocolate cakes. And in the movie, Hermione pulls out two little yellow cupcakes with some chocolate icing. I love that Hermione appears to just have two loose cupcakes in her bag. Well, where do you keep your cupcakes? In my belly? <laughs> Certainly not loose in my bag. It doesn't weird me out that much, but I've definitely kept stranger things in my bag. <laughs> Knowing Hermione, she could just have a portal to the kitchen in hers. I want to know where she got the sleeping draft. It is a bit disturbing that drugging other students seems to be super easy. Though in both, Harry and Ron do not think it's going to be that easy. 
they expect it could go seriously wrong. And Ron wants to know whose hair Hermione is ripping out. She tells them that she's already got hers. Millicent Bulstrode. Slytherin. Like, well, no shit, Hermione. Were you originally planning on getting the hair of a Hufflepuff? Yeah, that'd make infiltrating Slytherin super easy. Yep. Mm-hmm. But the way that the movie handled the dueling club, they can't actually explain that Hermione got the hair off of Millicent's robes while she was strangling her. And I missed <laughs> that line from the book. The whole scene, actually. Yeah. But then in both, Hermione heads off to check on the polyjuice potion and leaves Harry and Ron to make sure Crab and Goyle find the cakes. In the movie, they hide outside the Great Hall and levitate them just before Crab and Goyle exit, with their arms already full of sweets. This part also continues on the bit of Ron's failing spellotaped wand, as he initially thinks that he's going to do the spell, and Harry's just like, maybe I better do it. Yeah. <laughs> so Harry says Wingardium Leviosa, and the cupcakes rise in the air, each at the perfect height for Goyle and Crab as they walk out of the Great Hall and happen upon them. Who the fuck just eats random floating cupcakes, though? Like, I know they're dumb, but fuck. I'm not sure this is honestly that much better, but in the book, they just perch the cupcakes on the ends of banisters for them to find. I mean, that's better to me, personally. I think that's better. Yeah, I feel like a floating cupcake is far more suspicious than a banister cupcake. Thank you. That's what I'm trying to say. I mean, a banister cupcake is still kind of odd, though. Like, I mean, a banister cupcake is gross. I will, I will give you that it's gross, but a floating cupcake? That's weird. I would rather eat something gross than weird. I'd rather not eat either. Let me <laughs> say that, but rolling on. Yes. Either way, in both, they help themselves to the cupcakes and immediately start eating them. The book says they stuff them into their mouths whole, and I would have kind of liked to see it that way. Yeah, the movie just has them greedily bite into them a couple of times. Regardless, in both, Ron says, How thick can you get? And they keel over. The movie then transitions to Moaning Myrtle's bathroom, where Hermione is at the sinks, ladling out the potion. The book actually describes the steps of dragging them to the cupboard, ripping out some of their hairs, and stealing their shoes before sprinting back to the bathroom. The movie just has Hermione tell them to do all that as part of the plan, rather than showing it. She also tells them to steal their uniforms, but there's actually a deleted scene where after Harry and Ron stash Crab and Goyle, they go to the bathroom where Hermione has the potion and Slytherin robes waiting for them. Which is basically what they did in the book. Hermione just stole them spare robes from the laundry rather than having them strip down Crab and Goyle. Because honestly, I don't want to add stripping down Crab and Goyle to already having to drink Polyjuice Potion. That's just... With their hair in it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's way too much trauma for just two 12-year-old boys. That's totally fair. Right? So no stripping down Crab and Goyle. Yay! But then in the bathroom, she's actually in the cubicle with the potion, not just out in the open. But I can imagine that would have been difficult to film, cramming three people and a cauldron in a bathroom stall. Yeah, and it gets the same point across. But the poly just looks fucking rancid. Like, the hair in it actually seems to be the least gross thing. After adding the hairs, they clink glasses and drink up. Considering that after they drink up, they all drop their glasses, and Ron and Hermione both think they're going to be sick, it probably was fucking rancid. <laughs> This was different from the book, though, which has them get their glasses of potion, add the hairs, and each of them take their own bathroom stall. As Ron points out, 
Once they turn into Crab and Goyle, they won't fit. And Millicent Bulstrode's no pixie. The movie doesn't do it this way, since they are out in the open with plenty of space. But since both Hermione and Ron think they are going to get sick, they run into cubicles and the scene focuses on Harry's transformation. Which makes sense. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it was way easier to only show one transformation. Since the book's from Harry's point of view, it also really only showed us his transformation as well. But I thought that this was so neat to see in the movie. Mm -hmm. The bubbling effect of Harry's face into Goyle's was a really neat and smooth effect. I agree. And then Crab walks out of one of the stalls and we know it's actually Ron, obviously, because he still sounds like himself. And this was actually some really impressive voiceover work, I thought. Right? Great acting in general. Jamie Waylett and Josh Herdman did an excellent job acting like they were Ron and Harry acting like they were Crab and Goyle. Mm-hmm. Some of Jamie Waylett's facial expressions were spot on Rupert Grint's as Ron. I agree, yeah. Though the book specifically says that they took on Crab and Goyle's voices, too. I imagine this was just a cinematic way of showing that the Crab and Goyle on screen were actually Ron and Harry. Yeah, that makes sense. And I agree that it was impressive voiceover work but I still kind of want it to be like it is in the book. Yeah. Plus, they don't really give an even portrayal of Polyjuice Potion throughout the series since they had the voices change later on. I still like how they did it for this one, especially with Ron's bloody hell line when Harry tells him he has to sound more like Crab and he basically just lowers his voice to say bloody hell again. Which really wasn't even how Crab sounded anyway. Mm -hmm. He kind of has a higher voice when he saw the cupcakes and said, cool. Right. Which I think just made it funnier. So, I mean, I prefer the voiceover effect, personally. This would make a good Potter pondering. I wonder what our keepers prefer in general. Yeah, team all natural or team voiceover. The choice is yours. But anyways, Harry and Ron are interacting as Crab and Goyle, pretty odd by their transformations. In the book, Harry Goyle is talking about everything they have to do, and Ron Crabbe says, you don't know how bizarre it is to see Goyle thinking. <laughs> In both, Ron Crabbe, God, that's so weird to say. Like, it sounds like a new species of crab. Like, note the Ron Crabbe scuttling along the ocean floor. <laughs> okay, let's shorten it and go with Rab and Hoyle then. Oh, Lord. Okay. So, Rab calls out for Hermione, who tells them she won't be going and to go on without her. In the book, Rab also says, We know Millicent Bulstrode is ugly. No one's gonna know it's you. And she still insists she isn't going. Hoyle looks at Rab, bewildered, and Rab says, That looks more like Goyle. That's how we look <laughs> every time a teacher asks him a question. And I would have loved to see this dialogue. I agree. <laughs> In both, Hoyle asks if she is alright, and she again tells them to just go. Yeah, Hermione totally pussies out. Facts. Since they are wasting time, they head out to find the Slytherin common room. In the movie, they run into Percy along the way, and Ron forgets he's supposed to be Crab and asks what he is doing down there. Percy tells them that he is a prefect, but they shouldn't be out wandering at night. He then asks their names, and there is a fun bit where they don't actually know which is which. And I love that Polyjuiced Ron and Harry don't know which one of them is Crab and which is Goyle. Like, it kind of reminds me a bit of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern in Hamlet. Oh yeah, like, 
one character, even though it's two people. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) That was pretty funny, but also not how it happened in the book. They did run into Percy, but only after they mistakenly and suspiciously asked a Ravenclaw girl where their common room was. Hmm. And this is actually a piece of the Percy the letter writing shut-in puzzle that we've been putting together. Mm-hmm. We'll keep working on that as this goes on. Mm-hmm. Then they run into Percy, and when Rab asks what he's doing down there, Percy tells him it's none of his business and says, it's Crab, isn't it? So he already knew their names and didn't have to ask what they were, but that bit was funny enough that I don't mind the change. Yeah. Percy also tells him that it's not safe to be wandering around dark corridors these days. And when Rab says, you are, Percy responds by saying that he's a prefect and nothing's about to attack him. This is when Malfoy shows up and Harry is pleased to see him for the first time, like, ever. (laughs) And Malfoy shows up right as Rab and Hoyle are looking at each other trying to figure out who is who, calling their names and wondering if they have been pigging out in the Great Hall all this time. Rab's little nod when Draco asks if they've been pigging out in the Great Hall has always cracked me up. Yeah, that was one of those facial expressions that was just spot on, Ron. Right? Exactly. Draco then gives Hoyle a weird look and asks why he is wearing glasses. Hoyle says that they are for reading, and Malfoy says... I didn't know you can read. They say that Tom Felton actually ad-libbed that line. Like the, I didn't know you could read. But for some reason, I'm kind of skeptical about that. There's an interview with Tom talking about it. Mm -hmm. And he says that it was an improv line thrown in by Chris Columbus. So I don't know if Tom ad-libbed it and Chris decided to throw it in. Or if Chris just thought, hey, say this instead. Yeah, it definitely wasn't originally in the book, so I guess it's possible, but it just seemed too, I don't know, it just seemed too rehearsed. I imagine that it was thrown in there, and then several takes were done to get it right. Yeah. Also, Draco is really working his eyebrows in this movie. Taking lessons from Hermione, maybe? Yeah, maybe he called her Brow Guy. Why would he call her Brow Guy? That's a terrible nickname. No, he doesn't call her brow guy. He calls her brow guy. We're literally saying the same thing. No, I'm talking about her brow guy. I, he, not her. Mm, forget it. Just keep rolling. <sighs> Whatever. In the book, Harry had already taken his glasses off, so he couldn't do that joke. But Draco does tell them that he wants to show them something funny. He also gives Percy some attitude and a sneer before leading them off to the Slytherin common room. The movie has him give the same attitude and sneer to Percy, then transitions straight to the common room. Which cuts out the part where Malfoy calls Percy Peter, and is automatically corrected by Rab. He figures that Percy thinks he's going to catch the air of Slytherin single-handed. They reach the common room, and Malfoy initially forgets the password, but then remembers that it's pure blood, Because he's a Nazi von douchebag. Mm-hmm. They enter a long underground room with greenish lamps hanging from the stone ceiling. I feel like the Slytherin common room would smell really good. Like, it might sound weird, but, like, just think about it. Leather and fire and pine and marble and old books. Like, oh, dear Yankee Candle, I will take that shit in a three-wick. Yep, you are definitely a Slytherin. Come on, it sounds nice. But anyways... Malfoy tells them to wait there. And... Oh! Oh, sh- oh, brow guy! Oh, I get it. 
I mean, it's still fucking terrible, but I get it now. Uh huh. <laughs> Definitely a Slytherin. Anyways, Malvoy tells them to wait there and returns with an article from the Daily Prophet that talks about how Arthur Weasley was fined 50 galleons for bewitching a muggle car. Hoyle manages to fake a laugh, but Rab's face just contorts with fury, and he has to blame it on a stomach ache. That's not how it happens in the movie. Malfoy sits down and has to tell Rab and Hoyle to as well. He just starts going on about how you'd never know the Weasleys were pureblood the way they behave. But just like in the book, Malfoy notices Rab's face and he uses a stomach ache as an excuse. In the book, Nazi von Douchebag II tells him to go to the hospital wing and give all the mudbloods a kick from him. Dick. Right? <laughs> this comment transitions the conversation to the attacks and he mentions that he thinks Dumbledore is trying to hush it all up and that his father always said that Dumbledore is the worst thing to happen to Hogwarts. This is basically exactly what occurs in the movie, though he skips over the part about giving the mudbloods a kick. Less of a dick, then. Well, not really. Not really. Still Nazi von Douchebag. Then, after his Dumbledore comment, it's Hoyle's turn to get angry, and he actually bursts out with, You're wrong! And a shocked Malfoy wants to know if he thinks there's someone who's worse than Dumbledore. And Hoyle manages to save face by saying, Harry Potter? This was totally a Scooby Snack moment, too. Mm -hmm. Good one, Goyle. Here's a cookie. <laughs> Though, this isn't how it happened in the book. Hoyle doesn't have an outburst. Instead, Malfoy starts doing a cruel, but fairly accurate impression of Colin Creevy. Potter, can I have your picture, Potter? Can I have your autograph? Can I lick your shoes, please, Potter? Malfoy's a dick. Right. But despite a slightly different path to get there, in both, Malfoy calls him Saint Potter and expresses that he doesn't see how people can think that he is the heir of Slytherin. In the movie, Hoyle immediately says, well, you must have some idea who it is. And Malfoy tells him that he doesn't. Mentions that he's told him that before and wonders how many times he has to tell him that. Which is a bit different from the book. After Malfoy calls him Saint Potter, he says he's another one with no proper wizard feeling, and people think he's the heir of Slytherin? Rab and Hoyle think he's seconds away from saying that it's actually him, but instead, he says he wishes he knew who it was so he could help. Then Hoyle says the line, you must have some idea, and the book and the movie line back up. Though there is a little addition to the film where Malfoy wanders over to a table and finds a random little green and silver present that, after confirming it isn't Goyle's or Hoyle's or whoever's, he pockets. Which is the most Draco thing he could have done, honestly. Then the conversation continues pretty true to the book. Yeah, in both, we learn that Nazi von Douchebag I won't tell Draco anything about the first time the chamber was opened, which was over 50 years ago. However, he did tell him that whoever opened it got expelled. Why wouldn't Lucius tell Draco that it was Hagrid who was accused of opening the chamber 50 years prior? Like, it seems like a good way to get Hagrid in trouble and get any suspicion off the real culprit. My guess is because it annoyed Lucius that people thought Hagrid opened the chamber as much as it annoyed Draco that people thought Harry opened the chamber, uh, and he couldn't give him that credit. Yeah, that could be. I could buy that. The book also has Malfoy say that the culprit is probably still in Azkaban, which makes Hoyle say, Azkaban? And Malfoy respond with, the wizard prison, Goyle. Honestly, if you were any slower, you'd be going backwards. <laughs> Wish they would have kept that in. I love that line. Right. 
The movie just goes on to say that the last time the chamber was opened, a mudblood died. So it's only a matter of time before one is killed this time. As for me, I hope it's Granger. Ah, Nazi von Douchebag the second. Such a dick. It really is. This is basically what he said in the book, too. And as Rab and Hoyle are starting to get really pissed at Malfoy, the book also comments on how Malfoy Manor was raided. And Malfoy says that they have their own secret chamber under their drawing room floor. This is also the moment that the polyjuice potion is starting to wear off. In the movie, they jump up and Malfoy wants to know what their problem is. They again blame the stomachache, and as Malfoy is distracted by his stolen gift, Harry and Ron are starting to reappear. Ron points out Harry's scar, and Harry points out Ron's hair. The effect of Ron's hair growing back did not age well, though. Like, I've seen more realistic hair on a chia pet. Ch-ch-ch-chia! <laughs> exactly. In the book, they just run from the room and yell back that they're getting medicine for his stomach ache. It's not quite that close of a call, and Malfoy doesn't have a present to distract himself. And the movie, they just literally run out without saying anything. It then transitions right to the bathroom, but there is a deleted scene where Crab and Goyle emerge from the broom cupboard and run into the partially polyjuiced Ron and Harry. That was a fun little scene, though in the book, they just leave the boy's shoes outside of the cupboard and run to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Then in both, Hermione refuses to come out of the stall and tells them to go away. And then Moaning Myrtle glides out and is extremely gleeful, especially for Moaning Myrtle. <laughs> Wait till you see. It's awful. <laughs> in the movie, in a bold move, Harry just opens the bathroom stall. Hermione has her back to them, but she turns as she explains that the potion isn't meant for animal transformations and that Millicent Bulstrode must have a cat. The book has the same explanation, but Hermione leaves the stall on her own, all while sobbing with her robes covering her face. When she finally lowers them, she reveals a fur-covered face, pointed cat ears, and the reason she pussied out. Oh! Oh, she, okay, pussied out. I get, I get it now. <laughs> okay, I'm glad you caught up. That one was actually pretty funny. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just going to assume that her brow guy was funny too, and you're just lagging on getting that one too. Assume all you want. You can be wrong in your own head. And I can make an ass out of you and me. <laughs> we do that every week. But let's just keep rolling and wrap this up. Yep. In the book, Harry tries to console Hermione, saying that they will get her to the hospital wing, and Madame Pomfrey will sort her out, but it takes them a while to actually convince her to leave the bathroom. As they do, Moaning Myrtle calls out, Wait till they find out you've got a tail. Yeah, the movie has Hermione say, Look at my face. And I can't make any joke better than Ron's response of, Look at your tail. <laughs> and that's where this section ends. It's a good ending. Indeed. And that'll bring us to the part where we talk about the new actors in this section. We already mentioned them earlier, but... This was a pretty big scene for Josh Herdman as Hoyle and Jamie Waylett as Rab. So we wanted to make sure we actually mentioned them here. Yeah, as we already talked about the way that Jamie Waylett had those facial expressions that really just kind of nailed Ron, but they really both did. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting how Josh Herdman kind of took on like almost a timid, hairy face. Right. 
Like, he really pulled off that expression that Harry often can have. Yeah, it was actually really impressive, I thought. Right. And that's kind of why I wanted to see it with their normal voices and not the voiceover. Because I think that their acting abilities could have pulled it off well enough. Yeah, I agree with you. I just think it's impressive that they did voiceover so well. Like, they they were able to... It really did sync up deal with that really so well. nicely. Mm-hmm. Because you could, like, you can try and do shit like that and always end up with it, like, bad dub movies. Oh, yeah. And you see it so often in so many shows where you're just like, who did the audio on this? Because they suck. Right. But with this, it was, it was perfect, you know? But I do agree. I would have liked to have heard their actual voices and their inflections and intonations in all the lines. I do agree with that. If they could just get those facial expressions that well, I really feel like they probably did their voices different too to get in that. Mm-hmm. I, but I just love the idea of it's, you know, Jamie Waylett pretending to be Ron pretending to be Crab. Yeah. <laughs> and you have Josh Herdman pretending to be Harry pretending to be Goyle. Yeah. And it's just so different from what you normally get to see them do. It really displayed their skills well. Yeah, I agree. I really do. That's all we have to talk about actor-wise, so let's move on to our Potter ponderings. Yeah. Which we said would be, in the books, Harry and Ron take on Goyle and Crab's voices, but in the movie, they still sound like themselves. Which do you prefer and why? We'll make a Facebook post and get that out there for you, so find that and let us know what you think. Yeah, let us know. Team all natural or team voiceover? Which are you? <laughs> but don't forget to tell us why, too. Exactly. <laughs> well, that'll bring us to this week's sorting hat story. My name is Robert Griffey. I'm a half and half. Dad muggle, mom's a witch. Bit of a nasty shock for him when he found out. I'm a Slytherin married to a Hufflepuff. I feel you, bro. <laughs> My wand is elm wood with a dragon heartstring core, 12 and a half inches, and hard flexibility. And my Patronus is a Nebelung cat. Growing up, my great-grandma would buy me the books as they came out, but since school forced me to read, I refused to read for fun. Only watching the movies, that's how I grow with the fandom. It wasn't until about five years ago when I got a new supervisor at work, he introduced me to podcasts. Trying to figure out what to start with, I searched for Harry Potter. After a few years, I found Swish and Flick, which were already 45 episodes in, and I figured I'd download the audiobooks and listen to the series before listening. Well, it took me a little under a month to listen to the books three times. Now currently on my 10th reread. After reading, I got caught up with the podcast within a week and a half. I even have a shout out at the end of episode 102. Sorry, had to throw that in. You ladies are doing a fantastic job. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Robert. Mm -hmm. We're so glad you started listening to us. Hopefully now you will start hearing your shout outs on Just Keep Rolling too. I know I'm excited to keep building up my Slytherin Keepers. And if any of you other Keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, the wood, core, and length, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. Definitely. You don't have to be Slytherin either. We will take the lot. And this will bring us to... This week's trivia question, which is, how many people does Lockhart say has sent him Valentine's Day cards so far? The prize for the first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word hashtag humblebrag will get a bitch is a witch, motherfuckers a wizard, 
a Just Keep Rolling, or a Pride sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us. If you are an Apple person, you can do it through the Apple Podcast or iTunes app. If you don't have Apple, you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at JustKeepRolling. Following us on Podbean at JustKeepRolling.Podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. If you would like to support us as a patron for extra perks, you can go to Patreon.com slash JustKeepRolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. Don't forget to check out our new website and online store with all of the merchandise that we've been designing. That's JustKeepRolling.com. As Katie mentioned earlier in this episode, we are going to be holding a trivia contest as our Potterheads A History episode for the month of May. So we will be making this one available to everyone who wants to participate. That's right. On part one of the episode, we will be asking some questions from the Sorcerer's Stone and what we have covered so far in Chamber of Secrets. If you want to play along, you can submit the answers to our email account. The first person to get them all correct or have the most correct will be considered the winner and get to guest host part two of the episode when we will go over the answers. We will repeat all of this information on the actual trivia episode as well. Yep. So keep an eye out for it around 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday, May 26th. We can see how this amps up the trivia competition we have going on. And then join us next Friday when we talk about Chapter 13, The Very Secret Diary, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just keep rolling. rolling.